in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Would you please be seated? My Bible study with the seven effectively ended last week. We may have an occasion or two where they may contact me for further study, but for the most part, our study is over. This study started around the middle of January, and it went through, effectively, the end of April. The study did not result in any change. They did not change me, and I did not change them. Why? Why did we fail? Well, first off, I don't think we failed. I think the Word was planted, and that's what we are responsible to do, to plant the Word, and the reaction, the response of the recipients is between them and God. But they, for a, a degree they are all pretty involved in their denomination, especially the last six. You know, we started with the one, and then we gained the six. So each of those six especially are very involved in their denominational faith. One of the six is the worship coordinator for his church. Well, let me back up a little bit. He's one of four worship coordinators. There is a worship coordinator for the Friday service, Friday evening. He is the worship coordinator for the Saturday evening service. There's a worship coordinator for the Sunday morning, and there's a worship coordinator for the Sunday evening. That's four coordinators. Now, at that church there in Texas, they tell their members Come when it's most convenient. Come when it's most convenient for you. Come Friday night, come Saturday night, come Sunday morning, come Sunday evening. You're going to hear the very same lesson done four times, and you're going to have basically the same worship service, the same songs, the same arrangement. Everything's going to be basically the same. He asked me, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with giving people an option? You know, we all like options. Uh, can you imagine going to McDonald's and only being one thing on the menu? You know, we want to see options. We want to see choices, you know, when we go out to eat. He asks, what's wrong with giving people options? You know, as Christians, we are given the unique opportunity to worship God anytime. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2. At the very end of that chapter, those early Christians, uh, they gathered together as often as possible, sometimes even every day, uh, to uh, be with each other, to help each other, to encourage each other, and to worship God. There's no limit on the amount of time and the days that we can worship God. Isn't that wonderful? That we can worship God any time we want to? But there is a certain degree of uniqueness about Sunday. In fact, in that passage that Scott read, 
John described that day as the Lord's day. You know, there is something special about Sunday, the first day of the week. You know, there's a lot of things we don't know about the early church. Uh, I can't tell you what songs they sung. We think they probably used maybe the book of Psalms. Uh, maybe they uh, brought in some other songs that they wrote there. Uh, but we can't really tell you what songs they would sing at their worship service. We can't even tell you the order of service. Did they start with a prayer? Did they start with a song? We really can't tell you that. But one thing we can tell you is those early Christians guided by the apostles, endowed with the Holy Spirit. They had regular meetings together as a family of Christians on the Lord's Day. First off, let me establish with you the fact that the early church did come together and after I do that, I'm going to establish the fact that they did it on Sunday. Let's begin in Acts 14. Acts chapter 14, verse number 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and all that he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul is reporting on his missionary journey. The church... Brothers and sisters gathered together to hear that encouraging report. Let's go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, let's look at verse 26. And when he had found him, Barnabas goes searching for Saul, we know him better as Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church. They assembled with the church. They met together and taught a great many people. And the disciples? The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, what are these verses telling us? It's, it's telling us that the early church did gather together. But on what day was that special gathering? Well, let's look down at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Well, how do we do this? Not forsaking not forsaking the assembly ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see the day, the day approaching. The early Christians gathered together as a church family. And the early Christians especially did it on the first day of the week. They came together to encourage one another. Now some would say, I don't have to go to worship services to be a Christian. You know, the pandemic was both a blessing and a curse for the church. 
it was a blessing because think about our uh, online video ministry that we have now. Think about the uh, outreach. You know, I mentioned in class this morning about the, the nine-year-old little girl and, and her grandmother who are now going to worship services. And it all started with our online ministry. And think about the preacher schools that we're now teaching in on a regular basis. The online ministry has been a tremendous blessing. At the same time, it's been a little bit of a curse because it's given people the excuse to not to assemble, to stay away from the assembly. But when you do that, you are missing out. I stand on the faith of my mother. I have said that many times. She was my inspiration. She's the one that really helped me to grow my faith. I became a Christian just before I turned the age 13. That was in 1969. Two weeks after becoming a Christian, I became the kind of the unofficial preacher on Sunday nights. Um, virtually every Sunday night, I would be up preaching for the congregation. Here I am, 13 years old, preaching. I remember my mother. The auditorium was one of the, I call it a shotgun auditorium. It was all, not very wide, but very long. My mom would all be sitting always on the eighth pew right on the end. And I can remember looking out over the crowd. And Billy, her smile would be from one ear to the other ear. She was so proud. She was so excited. You know, she kind of felt like maybe she had failed with my brother. And now she had an opportunity to do it over. And she was going to make this one right. And she had worked so hard to help me to grow in the faith. And, and mom was there every Sunday night. Did you notice I said my mom? Not my dad. My father did not get to hear me. I didn't speak on Sunday mornings. He was there Sunday morning. But he was not there Sunday night. He missed out. He missed out on hearing his baby boy preach those first lessons. When we're not here, we are missing out. We're missing out on opportunities to encourage one another. We're missing out on opportunities to grow closer to God. We're missing out on opportunities to make a stand for God. To make a stand for God. You know, God is just as serious about His command to not neglect assembling. Go back to Hebrews 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. He's just as serious about His command to not forget, not to, for, to neglect assembling as He is about His command about not lying, His command about not stealing, and His command to live pure lives. Every word of the Bible is inspired. And every word means something to God. Now, get ready here. I believe a person who is able. Notice I capitalized the word able. 
Sometimes health-wise or other reasons, we're just not able. But a person who is able to attend not be a faithful Christian and purposely, purposely choose not to assemble with other Christians. Right now, I'm involved in a, I guess you would say, a um, over-the-phone debate. I, I don't know what to call it. But I'm going to call it an over-the-phone debate with a man who is physically able to attend. There's nothing stopping him from attending, but he says, Michael, I don't have to. I get enough, he calls it, he, I get enough church, in his words, I get enough church just by sitting at home and watching my TV. He's missing so much. He is missing so much. And he is hurting He's hurting his example. You know, your example is so powerful. For many years, I did not have a garage. I had a carport. Now, when you have a carport, people see your car there or they see your car missing. I remember so well, one Sunday morning, I got up and I was just, I mean, I was just... They, they say, puking your eyes out. I was puking my eyes out. I was so sick. I couldn't go that Sunday. Do you know I got two phone calls from non-Christians wanting to know, what's wrong with you? We noticed your car never moved. These were non-Christians. They expected my car to move. They expected my car to be at the parking lot of the church. And it wasn't that Sunday. And they wanted to know what was wrong. That's, that's the power of example. They knew that on Sunday, hey, Michael's car was not going to be there. I had a 1972 Ford Galaxy 500, and that Galaxy 500 stayed in that carport that Sunday. It never moved. You have an example as a Christian, we each have an example. That example could be to the positive. That example could be to the negative. Think about the power of your example. At a minimum, the New Testament points to one particular day, those regular church meetings, the first day of the week. Now, we talked about the importance this morning of the first day. You know, the first day was that day that our Lord was resurrected. And each one of the four gospel writers, you know, even though they had failed to really point out the days before in their, in their writings, you know, they wouldn't tell us what day each event happened. For the event of the resurrection, all four of them specifically mentions it happened on the first day of the week. That first day became known as the Lord's Day, as we read from Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Acts chapter 20. Paul is near the end of his third missionary journey. He's eager to be in Jerusalem, but he makes a pit stop in Troas. Now, he waits several days. He waits for the first day of the week in order to assemble with those Christians. 
Why? Because that's when he knew the church would come together. That's when the church would be together. Verse 16. We read verse 7 this morning. Let's look at verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. He wants to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, but he takes time out virtually a whole week to stay in Troas so that he can meet with those Christians who assembled on the first day of the week. But the seven, you know, as I said this morning, they would say, well, that's just one isolated verse. To that, I pointed out that they like to look at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2, as that verse to authorize giving. How many verses do we have in the Bible that specifically says to give on the first day? One. Now we have a lot of verses about giving, but only one verse specifically saying to give on the first day of the week. One verse is enough. You don't have to have 5, 10, 15, 20 verses. If God said it one time, that's good enough for me. We have the example, Acts 20, verse 7, of those Christians coming together on the first day of the week, Sunday as we would call it, to break bread, to observe the Lord's Supper. Now, let's once again go to a history test. Now, as I said this morning, keep in mind, history is man-made. And it can be right, it can be wrong. That's the warning. But what, what was happening with these second century Christians? Now, first off, why are the second century Christians important? Because they were just a few decades away from the last apostle. You know, we think John was probably the last of the apostles to die. We think he died just before the start of the second century. So they, they were those people that, in some cases, they would have been taught maybe by John and others. They had a close connection to the first century, that first century that was led by those inspired apostles. Well, let's, look, let's look at a second century Christian. Justin Martyr, the guy we mentioned this morning, writing in 155 A.D., writing to the emperor, said this, And on that day called Sunday, what we would call it Sunday. There is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a city or rural district. We all make our assembly in common. They were coming together on the first day of the week. Sunday assembly. Did you know churches are getting away from that Sunday assembly? Now I mentioned the one of the seven He's a, the Saturday night coordinator. But let's take it from the denominational world, let's take it to the Lord's church. The Lord's church is getting away. We have congregations dotted across our country who are getting away from the Sunday assembling. Now they still have communion, but they'll have it on Saturday night or Friday night or whenever. What are they doing that for? For convenience. 
for convenience? Doesn't God deserve our obedience instead of bowing down to convenience? We can meet any time to worship God. That's true. But Sunday is a special time to meet. Regardless of how often we choose to meet. Here we choose to meet three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday evening. Regardless of how often we choose to meet, at a minimum we must assemble on Sunday. We must partake of the Lord's Supper. We must remember what message what message are you giving the world when you skip assembling together what message are you giving the world when you skip assembling together those two neighbors of mine they knew something was wrong because my car was still in that carport all day long what message are you giving God when you skip assembling together on purpose? Now keep in mind, we realize sometimes we are physically unable. On that one Sunday morning, I was physically unable to assemble together. But when I can, and that is 99.9% .9 of the time for me, I want to be here with all of you. Because you give me the strength that I need to get through the week. I look forward to our midweek service. Once again, coming together to, you. once again, you help me to make it through each day. Because folks, the world out there is tough. It's really tough. And we need each other. Why would God in His infinite wisdom create the worship service? Because He knew. He knew that we needed each other. That's, why, that's the reason why, you know, the church is described as a family. Because as a family, we need each other. That's why we come together to help each other. Tonight, before we leave, once again, we ask the question, are you a Christian? Will you believe? Will you repent? Will you confess? Will you be baptized? If you've not done that, you need to do that. Most of us have done that. Praise and glory be to God. But as a Christian, as a Christian, do you need to seek forgiveness? God will forgive if we'll seek forgiveness. The church stands ready to pray with you and for you. Don't leave this building with a need. Leave this building in a saved condition, in a forgiven condition. If we can help in any way, please come while we stand and sing for your encouragement.